Thanks for joining us for this week's weekend message podcast at Lakeside Church. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast channel as well as our new Lakeside Life podcast channel that will feature podcasts outside of the weekend messages. You can also check out lakesidechurch.com for ways to get connected, find more information on upcoming events, as well as how to give and support the mission of Lakeside. Enjoy this week's message, and thanks again for joining us. Right on. Joy to the world. Oh, nice response. Hey, I like that. Yeah, I've been telling people that all day long. They look at me like, there's this, would you like to sit down before I go on? I was going to go on. Man, why don't you go ahead and sit down? That's a good idea. Sorry. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, there's this thing that we say at Easter uh, on Resurrection Weekend. We go, he is risen. See, a lot of people know the response. He is risen indeed. But when you go, joy to the world, everyone goes, well, yeah, you guys go, woohoo, good job. So that's awesome. You can say, like, Merry Christmas back. You can go, like, peace on earth, goodwill to men. I don't know, something like that. So, yeah, good job. All right. Uh, huh. So two weeks ago, I ran in the California International Marathon, and this happened. <laughs> How about that? I yeah, I finished. Sound like you were surprised. <laughs> no, I actually, I did finish, and I was, I was delighted to, that I actually did finish, so that's a cool thing. And uh, I don't know, it, it's, uh, I, people go like, why'd you do that? Why'd you want to run in a race like that? It's like, I have no idea. It makes no sense at all, right? And I had two friends that ran with me, and I could ask them, you know, why'd, why'd you do this with me? You know, then, oh, yeah, they wouldn't tell you. They don't, I don't know, because it's there, you know, because you asked me to. I'll, I'll do it if you ask me to, I guess. So kind of interesting. I don't know, but I thought, well, it's like two and a half weeks before Christmas. So at least, at least if I run this marathon, there's going to be all kinds of great, funny stories that will come out of it. You know, I'll be able to tell stories at Christmas, and it'll be just fantastic. And then I realized that when you run 26.2 miles, nothing is funny. <laughs> and then I'm like... Well, shoot, then Christmas is here. Now what am I going to do, you know? So there was a couple, there was, actually, there were a couple things that were funny. There was the guy at mile 12 in a pink Speedo, <laughs> like cheering, like, dude, stop cheering <laughs> or put something else on. Would it be really helpful, you know? It's kind of interesting. There was one guy, he ran barefoot. Oh. I'm saying, right? And, he, and here's the deal. He was ahead of me the whole way. Like, I have shoes on, and I don't know how you're doing this. He was doing it. I didn't know this, I didn't know this till later, like after the race was over, but there were 11 streakers in the race. Oh. Yeah, and they must be really fast because I never saw them. <laughs> I'm thinking they were cold, right? So, whew, like, get moving because it's cold out. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. And there are signs along, along the route. People hold up signs, and so the, the last time I did a marathon, the other time I did a marathon was in New York City, and I didn't know anybody, and nobody knew me, so no one held a sign up going, yay, Brad, go, Brad, go. You know, but here, some people knew that I was running, and so they went out there, and they're holding signs like, go, Brad, go, you, you got this. I'm like, yeah, I got this. That was great for the first mile. It's really good. <laughs> and then the farther you get on, on into the race, when you're starting to get, like, tired and burned out, like at mile two, then there's other signs that people put out. They hold these signs up. That they're like, they're signs that are trying to encourage you. Like, don't give up. Don't stop. You've worked hard. You know, keep going. Things like that. So like this guy at mile 21. 
And do you know what I like best about that whole thing? What? Is how long it takes the laughter to go through the audience. Because <laughs> I think you're like me. I, I either ran by that sign so fast, which is not what happened, <laughs> or I didn't see it till I was already almost all the way past it. And I saw this guy and I saw the sign and I saw the pants and I'm... Uh, <laughs> give me five, sweetie, right here. This is... <laughs> This is going to be a good night right here. <laughs> I'm, I, I thought it said, you know, keep running or I'm going to drop my pants. I'm like, too late. You already did. And then I read the sign and I'm laughing. And when I show that up here, it's like, okay, it just kind of takes a while to get through. Like, what is that guy up to? And I don't know why that all, I don't know why all the marathon humor has to do with clothes, clothing being removed. I, I didn't set it up that way. I don't know. I'm doing well so far, so I think that's how it's going. <laughs> we'll see if it keeps going that way. So, uh, yeah, so you know, the one, you know the one thing that marathon runners have in common? They run. <laughs> they run. No, they don't all. <laughs> they don't all run. Uh, no, they all have pain. Everybody. You know those guys who come in uh, and they're finished by the time I get to the halfway point? Those guys, the fast guys, they're in pain, man. Have you ever tried to run that fast? You know those guys run five-minute miles for 26.2 miles? Whew. They're in pain. They put on a smiley face at the end when they cross the finish line where all the pictures are. <laughs> They're in pain. You know, and everybody, and everybody who's farther back from them, like where I was and whatever, they're in pain. <laughs> you know, and sometimes the pain is in their feet. Sometimes the pain is in their knees. Sometimes the pain is in their hips. That's just me. Sometime, and sometimes the pain is elsewhere. Sometimes the pain is in their heart, right? There are people who run the marathon in honor of a loved one who's passed. And I, I don't know what it's like to carry that kind of pain. When they get to the starting line, they're already carrying pain with them. It's remarkable. Some people are running because they're cancer fighters. Like they've got a diagnosis and they're out there running to overcome this. Some people are running because they're cancer survivors and they're out there running to celebrate this pain that they've been through, and, that, and maybe at this point they've conquered. Uh, there's all kinds of, of reasons why people carry pain and, as they go through that process. But when, you, when I stop to think about it, I'm like, man, this marathon thing, it's a parade of pain. And then I realized that's not very different than life. You know, we are surrounded by people. The scriptures in the book of Hebrews calls it a great cloud of witnesses. We're, we're surrounded by all these people. And everybody, as we go through life, we're carrying pain. You don't always see it. You don't see it at Christmas time because everyone's got their happy face on, right? Unless you know somebody well. And then, you know, they may, they may be carrying the loss of a loved one who died 20 years ago at Christmas time. And they just can't ever get past that pain. The reality is, at any given time in our lives, we carry pain. And it's so interesting how the Christmas story intersects that in our lives and how God wants to connect with us in the midst of that in our lives. I want you to hear the Christmas story tonight. Uh, you'll, you, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you'll be familiar with this part of the story, but I want you to hear it maybe from a little bit different perspective to think about the pain that was in the lives of the people that were in the Christmas story and then how that relates to us. We sing this song. Joy to the world, and the Lord has come. It's all about this, you know, celebration of Christ the King as he comes in to our world. But that song makes no sense unless it's played against a backdrop of pain. 
You know, nobody goes into a party and they, they, they're like, hey, we're at a party. Let's sing Joy to the World. Like that, you know, unless it's a Christmas party, that doesn't happen. And it would be, and it would be a little bit odd unless there's a, like, oh, man, we got a lot of tough stuff going on here. And so we need, to, we need to find the source of joy. We need to find the source of hope. And that's what the story of Christmas is about. Let me read for you a little bit of the story. Uh, this part is found in Matthew chapter 2. And uh, let me start reading at verse 1. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So you've probably all heard of the wise men or the Magi, and they come from someplace in the east. They come across the desert. They're bringing gifts with them, and they've come to worship a king. They are on this journey, and they're full of hope and full of joy. They've got a king in their sights. They're going to find him. They're going to search him out. They're going to find him, and they're going to celebrate with hope and joy. And so they, they make their way to Israel, and, they're, and they find the king of Israel, King Herod, and they go, hey, we, we want to know, know where the newborn king is born because we want to worship him. Now, that all sounds great, and maybe it was all great and beautiful for them, but maybe there was stuff going on in their own soul, right? These are, these are highly educated men. And they've traveled across the countryside, across the desert, to get to this place where they believe there's a king who is worthy of worship. In that culture, in that generation, every, the people of every nation worshiped their kings except for the people of Israel. In Israel, they said, no, God is our king. We worship him. We don't worship a human being. But everybody else, mostly because the king made them, like, hey, you're going to worship me. And they were like, okay, you're the king. I'm going to worship you. And that's how they did it. But here these Magi, these wise men, they come across the desert to come someplace else to worship that country's king. Like what was going on back home? What was the political environment they were getting away from? They say, I wouldn't want to worship some different king because ours, not, not worshipable, which is a word I just made up. <laughs> and they arrive in Jerusalem, and the story goes on in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. So here's King Herod. He's the king of the Jews. And he hears these, these wise men and what they're trying to do. They're trying to find this newborn king. And it says, and he was disturbed. Well, yeah, he was disturbed. His wife hasn't been pregnant for years. He has sons, but they're all grownups by this time. So when someone comes in to the king and says, where's the next king? And he goes, I don't have a baby king coming. He's disturbed. Does that make sense? He's like, where's this, where's this other king coming from? And he's disturbed. And then it says, and all Israel was disturbed with him. All the people around were disturbed with him. Like, wait, 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 what's going on? We're going to get a new king? What's with the old king? We don't, we don't really like the old king, but we're not sure we're ready for a new king. And they're all disturbed. And then King Herod calls his own local wise men. They're called the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He calls his own wise men together and he says, can you pinpoint for me where the Messiah is going to be born? They checked out the scriptures and they said, Bethlehem, city of David. 
And then he called the traveling wise men, the magi, and he said, can you tell me exactly what time that star appeared? Because I got to do some calculations. I got to figure out when the star came, and I got to figure out where the baby's born, and I got I to put all this together so that I can go and worship him too, which was not true. Because the people in Israel didn't worship any king, and King Herod certainly wasn't, going, certainly wasn't going to worship some other king. And what kind of pain was going on in Herod's heart when he found out there's another king being claimed in his country? So he says to the Magi, go, go look for him. When you find him, come back and tell me where he is so I can go worship him too. And then verse 9. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So the Magi come to Bethlehem. And they are wound up, man. They are hopeful and joyful, and it's going to be a party when they get there. And they come into this house where this baby king was staying with his parents, and they see the baby, and they see his, his mama, and they have joy and hope. They're filled with it. And they open up their gifts, and they're, ha- and they're passing out to this baby gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they're so joy-filled when they're presenting all this stuff to this king, this baby king. And yet when they're done with all of that, they have a dream on the night before they leave to go back home. And in this dream, God says to them, don't go back the way you came. Because Herod's got great pain planned for the community of Bethlehem. You can't read the Christmas story without coming to the fact that there was pain in the story. And then, if you fast forward the story 30 years, and now this baby king, Jesus, who's grown up and has had a teaching, healing ministry all over the nation of Israel, and now he's on trial in Jerusalem. And when you see the trial and what's going on in Jerusalem, you realize that the pain has carried with Jesus all 30 of those years or so. And he brings it, he he doesn't bring it, but he sees it all the way through as he gets to Jerusalem. This part of the story is found in John chapter 18, and uh, in verse 28 it says this, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to, eat, they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? They replied, If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, well, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. They said, but we have no right to execute anyone. Okay, stop right there. The Jewish leaders, the the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel, the ones that were supposed to be the holiest ones in the whole nation, they're all been out of shape about this rabbi who last week came down the mountain, the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. He's riding a donkey and everyone's so cranked up about this man, this teacher, that they're taking palm branches and putting him on the street in front of his donkey. They're taking their cloaks off and putting it on the ground in front of the donkey so the donkey doesn't have to touch the dirt coming into the city. And while Jesus is coming into the city on this donkey, they're, they're shouting, long live King Jesus and hail King Jesus and isn't Jesus amazing? He's our king. 
And it was a huge commotion. And not everybody in the city was at that parade, but everybody in the city heard that parade. And you, you know that Pilate wasn't there, but you know he heard it. You know that the Jewish leaders weren't at the parade, but they heard it, and they certainly heard about it. Now they've got Jesus. A week later, they've arrested him. They take him into their own court, and they do a trial of him. They find him guilty, and then they take him to Pilate. Now, Pilate was the Roman governor who was in charge of their region, in charge of their nation. And they take him into Pilate, and they go, hey, he's a criminal. You need to, you need to crucify him. You need to execute him, is what they're saying. And Pilate says, whoa, 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 whoa. What's he done? Well, if he weren't a crook, if he weren't a bad guy, we wouldn't have given him to you. We wouldn't have handed him over to you. What do you think? Pilate goes, take him yourself. If you're all bent on the idea that he's a criminal, take him yourself and try him according to your law. You've got this great law. Why don't you try him by your law? They go, no, we can't because we can't execute somebody. Only you can because you're the Romans. How much pain has to be in someone's life to be a religious leader who is so bent on getting somebody else executed, but to do it in a way that they keep their hands clean enough to have Christmas lunch the next day. Or they called it Passover. They wanted to have their holy meal the next day. They got to be clean enough to do that, but they want to get this guy out of the way and they got to get him executed today. How sick do you have to be? How much pain does there have to be for that to happen? That's the leaders of the nation of Israel. The story goes on in verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus asked, Is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? Pilate replied, Am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate said, You are a king then. Pilate is the governor of Israel, but he works for Rome. His boss is the most powerful king in the world at that time. His boss was Caesar of Rome. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire. He was the most feared man on the planet, and that was Pilate's boss. And Caesar's command to Pilate was, don't let any, don't let any riots happen. Don't let any trouble brew up. Keep control. Keep order. Pilate was terrified of the emperor Caesar. And now this peasant rabbi stands in front of him, and he's been accused by the Jewish leaders of something. And so he asks this man, he says, do you, do, are, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, my, you know what? My kingdom's not of this world, which made Pilate all the more nervous. Like now, now he's afraid of Caesar and is afraid of Jesus. And then, and then while all this is happening, he gets a, he gets a text from his wife. It's a text that's written down on paper or, or parchment or something. I don't know. But there, he gets a message from his wife. She says, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. I had a bad dream last night, and it was all about him. And God was saying, leave him alone. Don't touch him. So now Pilate's got pain in the empire and pain in the nation and pain in his household. And some of you are thinking, yeah, pain in the, hmm. He's got pain everywhere. And then the story goes on in chapter 19. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they slapped him in the face. 
The job of the soldiers, of these soldiers, was to execute convicted criminals. Now, I don't know what that does to somebody's soul. Can you imagine? And there, there have been people in every culture over the history of our planet whose job it was to execute convicted criminals. So it's not an unusual thing, but nobody's soul is impervious to that and the pain that that brings on in their lives. And so when Pilate said, take him out and execute him, they had to carry out what Pilate said. That was their job. But the whole purple robe thing, that was extracurricular. That was not part of their job. That whole thing about taking the branches of a local tree that grows in Jerusalem that has inch and a half to two inch long thorns on the branches, and the branches are thin so they can be wrapped and woven together, to weave that into a crown of thorns and jam that on someone's head, that was extracurricular. And what has to go on in here for someone to treat another human being that way? It's mostly an expression of pain. See, the backdrop to the story of Jesus is a backdrop of pain. And it's not just those people that were in that story. It's everybody who's lived on the planet. It's everybody who's part of the human, human story. It's all of us. And maybe our pain wouldn't lead us to execute someone else, but our pain works itself out in so many different ways. And so then I go, what's in your story? What's the pain in your story? Some of us have lost a loved one. And the pain in our story today is great. And for some of us, it seems like the pain in our story every year at the holidays is great. Some of us just received a diagnosis of some major traumatic injury in our body. And man, that brings pain. Or maybe that diagnosis landed on someone in your family or someone in your close circle of friends. And that pain lands on us. Or maybe the pain is relational pain. Well, we're just not, we're not connecting with somebody and we can't get through it, we can't get over it, we can't get around it. It just, it just is. When I finished the marathon, the most common statement that people would make to, be, to me, people that weren't runners, um, the most common statement was, man, I wouldn't run like that unless someone was chasing me. Some of you said that to me. <laughs> but that, and, and, that's a good, and that's a good thought, that's a good statement, but that, there's a question that comes along with that statement, and the question is, what are you running from? Who's chasing you? What's chasing you? What are you running from? So often when we get pain in our lives, we run from it, and we run from it, and we don't know how to deal with it. Jesus came to deal with it. And the question, what are you running from, maybe could be turned around in another direction and asked this way, what are you looking for? So I would love to ask Pilate someday, Pilate, what were you running from? Or to ask the Jewish leaders, hey, what were you guys running from? Or to ask those soldiers, what were you running from? Or to turn the question around. And to say, Pilate, what, what were you looking for? At one point, Pilate said to Jesus during that trial, he said, what is truth? 
What a profound question to ask in a moment of execution. What is truth? Pilate, what are you looking for? Or to ask the Jewish leaders, what, what were you looking for? Or to ask the Roman soldiers, what were you looking for? See, Pilate found a king he was never looking for. And when he found him, it came for him with lots of pain and fear. And the Jewish leaders found a king that they were never looking for. And when they found him, or when he found them, it brought pain and fear into their lives. And the, and the Roman soldiers, they weren't looking for any king at all. But they found a king they weren't looking for. And when they found him, they were filled with pain and fear. But the Magi were different. The Magi are the ones in the story who are different. They've got a different story. They've got, they've got a different ending. They found the king they were looking for. They came to Israel saying, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star and we've come to worship him. They found the one they were looking for. And when they, when they saw the star and when they found the child and his mother and they get, went in, they gave their gifts. When they did all those things, they were filled with hope and joy. They found the one they were looking for. So I don't know what your story of pain might be. I don't know what the story of fear might be. But I know a man whose name is Jesus. And he is known as the King of the Jews. And he's known as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I know that when you run to him, he opens his arms wide to you. And he is here to bring us hope. Jesus, I pray for us today. It's Christmas, Lord. We celebrate you. We celebrate with lights and tinsel and shiny things and beautiful things. It's all beautiful. But Lord, we also know that we carry stuff with us when we come to these holidays. We come, we carry stuff with us when we come to you. So Lord, I pray for my friends here throughout the room that you would do something miraculous in us, that you, would, that you would let us find you tonight. Lord, some of us maybe for the very first time to find you, to find the one we're looking for and not be filled with pain and fear, but to be filled with hope and joy instead. And Jesus, I believe you're the one who has the power to do it. Lord, you would have done it for Pilate if he had let you in. You would have done it for the Jewish leaders if they would let you in. You would, you would have done it for the Roman soldiers if they would have run to you. So, Lord, today may we turn towards you, may we run to you, and from you may we find hope and joy for this life and forever. Jesus, thank you. We love you. Amen. When you run to Jesus... He opens his, wide, his arms wide to you every time. Thanks for listening. Please visit us at lakesidechurch.com for more information on how to get connected to our church community. We hope to hear from you soon. Have a great week.